Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Father God, what a wonderful promise that when Jesus came out of the grave, that's when our life could begin as well. His life was ours. It, it was what we inherited because of what he did for us. And so we thank you, God, this morning for the cross. And we also thank you for the empty grave. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. Good early morning uh, to you. Uh, welcome to Bethel. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you have one, and turn with me to Matthew 28. We'll have the words up on the screen as well here in a few minutes. Um, but I'm going to be reading there uh, this account of Jesus rising from the dead. And so this morning we're going to talk a lot about his resurrection because it is Easter. And you may already know this, but perhaps you've forgotten or you're not aware that the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest miracle in all of the Bible with no actual witnesses. No one saw him come out of the grave. The Bible doesn't tell us how that process looked. But there's a lot of evidence to prove to us that, in fact, he did come out of the grave. And so we're going to look at that evidence this morning. And my prayer is that you will leave here this morning convinced that Jesus really did rise from the grave and he's alive today. Because if you believe that, then you have a great hope for the future. So follow along. I'm going to read Matthew 28, starting in verse 1, down through verse 15. Here's what Matthew writes for us. He says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. We'll stop reading there for this morning. 
Now, if you weren't here with us Friday night, uh, let me bring you up to speed just a little bit. Jesus came into this world for a specific purpose. Luke 19, verse 10, tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, who are the lost, all right? Um, well, he's not talking about that ABC television special from a while back, if you watch uh, The Loss. Uh, he's not talking about that loss. He's talking about you and me. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I'm at. Well, what he's talking about there is you and I being lost in our sin. Every single one of us in this room this morning have at some point in our lives violated God's law. We've all, perhaps, told a lie. We've stolen something. We've looked lustfully at someone. There's nobody here this morning who can say that they have kept God's law perfectly. And maybe we don't cuss when we're around the preacher. Or maybe we get all dressed up and we look nice on Easter Sunday morning. But we're all sinners. We've all committed sin. We're lost in the sense that we have wandered away from God and we're separated from a right relationship with him. In fact, because we're lost, we're actually due our wages for being lost. The wages for sin, the Bible tells us, is death. So, when Jesus came into the world, he came to do something special. He came to live in a way that you and I could never live. He lived perfectly according to God's law. He never sinned. And at the end of his ministry, he went to a cross, and there on the cross, he died as a substitute for me and you. He took our sin on himself, and he paid the wages. He died in our place. That's what happened on Good Friday. We call it good because... He did something good for us. But if it ended on Good Friday and Jesus just stayed dead, then there are two things that would be uncertain. Number one, was Jesus's life good enough to satisfy the demands of a holy and righteous God? That's question number one. And number two, would anything or anyone ultimately be able to conquer sin, death, and Satan? Those two questions would remain uncertain and unanswered if Jesus stays dead. So it's vitally important for us to know whether or not he really came back from the grave because we want to know the answers to those two questions. And so that's where we pick up our story this morning in Matthew 28 where everyone on this morning, Sunday morning, thought he was dead. The women thought he was dead. The disciples thought he was dead. The crowds thought he was dead. The Roman soldiers thought he was dead. Pilate thought he was dead. The chief priests of Jerusalem thought he was dead. And certainly the guards that were standing there protecting the tomb thought he was dead. Every dream and every hope and every aspiration that all of his disciples ever had vanished on the night when he was crucified on the cross and they laid him in Joseph's tomb. Everyone thought that that was the end. 
Everyone thought he's dead. And the disciples were scared, silly. In fact, at the, at the point of this story, they're off hiding in another room for fear that their heads were next. And so it's only the women who came to the tomb this early morning first thing. Now, why were they there anyway on this Sunday morning? Well, it was because the burial back on Friday had been a rush job. On Friday, it was called the Day of Preparation. It was a day when the Jews were trying to get everything ready for the Sabbath, which was the next day there on, on Saturday. Um, no work could be done on the Sabbath, uh, especially this Sabbath, because it, it happened to fall on the Passover week. And no one was supposed to be hanging on a cross on the Sabbath. It, it, uh, that was a sign of the curse of God. And so the Jews didn't want people hanging on crosses on the Sabbath day. And so as the Sabbath closed in on Friday evening, uh, they wanted those bodies disposed of. And so that's why they would go through and break the legs of people who were hanging on crosses so that they would die quickly. In fact, Pilate is shocked when he finds out that Jesus was already dead. He had only been hanging on the cross for a few hours. Normally it took two or three days for someone to die. Uh, he, but Jesus had died of his own accord. He said, I lay down my life and I'll take it up again. And so he had gave up his spirit and he died. And his body on that Friday had been requested by a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph took that body and he took it to his own personal family tomb, in in which tomb no one had been placed yet, and he took Jesus there and he put him in that tomb. It was brand new. Jesus was the first one to to go there. And so on this first day of the week, on this Sunday, these, these women are coming to finish the burial process. They're coming with perfume. They're coming with spices and ointments. They don't know how they're going to move that huge stone away from the entrance, uh, but they're coming anyway. They're distraught. They're upset. That they're in anguish over this one who they thought to be the Messiah, and they don't know what to expect, but faithfully they're coming. And boy, oh boy, are they in for a surprise. When they get there, verse 2 says, there's this great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. Now, as I mentioned, there's this, this giant stone in front of the tomb. Those stones were circular. They were sawn out of, of rock, and they were kind of rolled in place in front of the, the tomb through this groove. And it took several strong men to roll that kind of a stone uh, into place to fix it there. Now, to be sure, uh, ladies can be very strong, but there's no chance that these couple women that are coming on this morning have any hope of moving a stone that size, let alone the fact that they expect to get there and see Roman guards standing there guarding this tomb. There is nothing in their minds that prepared them for what they were getting ready to see. But moving that stone was absolutely no problem for an angel of the Lord. This angel comes down and boom, there's this earthquake. I, 
the Bible never really tells us why there was an earthquake. Was it, was it the angel hitting the ground like a superhero uh, that caused that earthquake? Or was it the stone rolling that caused that earthquake? The Bible also says that when Jesus came out of the grave, there were other graves that were opened that morning. Maybe that was the earthquake that opened those other graves and allowed the other people to come out. We don't, what, we don't know. But what we do know is that this angel was magnificent in appearance. Verse 3 says his appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. Do you know why he looked this way? He looked this way because he spent all of his time in front of the face of a brilliant, gazing, glorious, holy God. And since God is described as dazzling, overwhelming light, it makes sense that these angels reflect that brilliance. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be absolutely terrified if I showed up out in the graveyard and this being was there, brilliant light flashing around. I would do exactly what these guards did. Pass out. Just straight over. It's so frightening, which in and of itself is rather fascinating because these are Roman trained warriors. These guys aren't afraid of anything. And yet this supernatural being, this angel, was something that they've never seen. And over they fall. But the women don't. They don't pass out. And verse 5 says, the angel spoke to them and said, don't be afraid, which of course I'm sure they were. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come, you can see the place where he lay and then go quickly and tell his disciples. The empty tomb is the greatest proof of the reality of Jesus's resurrection. No one in the biblical accounts ever dispute that reality. Oh, they lie about it, to be sure. But no one ever disputes that it actually happened. Fast forward 2,000 years where we live today, and you hear all kinds of reasons why Jesus didn't come out of the grave. People say all kinds of things. One denial goes like this. You'll hear it. If you listen closely to the to the media, uh, they'll say something like this. Maybe these women just got the wrong tomb. They just went to the wrong place and it was empty. But Jesus was actually just uh, in the correct tomb. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, that is just plain silly. First of all, these women knew exactly which tomb Jesus was buried in because they watched him go in. They were there when he was buried. Further, if this was the wrong tomb, then the guards would have been guarding the wrong tomb. The angel would have appeared at the wrong tomb. And the owner, Joseph of Arimathea, didn't even know his own tomb. And last and certainly not least, if they had the wrong tomb then all the chief priests would have had to do was to go to the correct tomb, 
present Jesus' dead body, and voila, problem would have been solved. But the fact is, they had the correct tomb. They knew the right one. Other people, in, in denying the resurrection, will say things like, well, you know, Jesus didn't actually die. He just swooned. He, he went into a coma. He, he, was, he was just sleeping, barely, uh, but he, he came back to life and, and he just walked out. Well, that doesn't work very well because the Roman guards testified that he was dead on the cross. They jabbed a spear in his side and water and blood came out, which indicate a burst heart. Further, when they buried him in the tomb, other gospels tell us that they buried him with 75 pounds of spices on his body. That amount of weight uh, laying on the chest of a man who had just endured the beatings and floggings that Jesus endured, he would have never had the lung capacity to keep from being crushed. And finally, even if he did go into a coma and he just woke up, how would he emerge out of the tomb? It, it, it's sealed and, there, and there's, there's guards outside. You cannot get around the fact that this is the right tomb and that Jesus' body is not there. So what happened to it? Well, he, he rose from the dead. We know that his body was capable of passing through walls because we read that later in the gospel. So Jesus just came to life and he simply came out of the tomb. The angel did not open the entrance of the tomb to let Jesus out. He opened the entrance of the tomb to let the women look in. Jesus wasn't there. He was already gone. Resurrected. Now, we're not told if the women actually went into the tomb or not, but the Gospel of John tells us that Peter and John later do go in, and they took a look. And when Peter and John went in, what did they find? Well, it says that Jesus' grave clothes were laying there and his face cloth was neatly folded in a place by itself. There was no evidence of a grave robbery. If it had been a robbery, there would have been a rummaged mess. No one would have taken the time to fold up a face napkin, but that's what Jesus did. He calmly folded it up and he walked out, which... By the way, uh, it's been rumored that folding the napkin at the table is a Jewish custom that means that the person folding the napkin intends to return. There's actually no biblical study sources that confirm that uh, speculation. In fact, table napkins like you and I know them today uh, weren't even used in Jesus' day. Uh, Jews would do this after meal hand washing uh, instead of using uh, napkins. And so while it is true that Jesus is coming back someday, it appears that this napkin folding uh, custom was unknown uh, in the land of Israel other than proof that the grave was not robbed. So the angels come and they have, the angel comes and has more instructions. He tells the women, verse 7, go quickly Tell the disciples he's risen from the dead. Behold, he's going before you to Galilee. Uh, And so they take off and they go running. Uh, And and before we go any further, let me just make this point as well. The fact that the gospel writers 
used women as the first witnesses is further proof that Jesus rose from the grave. Well, how so? Because at the time of Bible writings, women's testimony was considered unreliable. You couldn't trust a woman to tell the truth in those days. At least that's what they said. And so the fact that Matthew or any of the disciples would tell of women being witnesses to the story is further validity that it actually happened. Why else would they have used that testimony? So it tells us this is true, right? These women become the first witnesses. And, and if I can just add this, the women were the only faithful disciples all the way through the process. They were the ones at the cross. They were the ones that watched him get buried. They're the ones that show up on resurrection morning. These women were absolutely faithful throughout the entire Passion Week. So don't kid yourself. Women have a high place in Scripture and in the mind of Christ. Well, these women take off with a mixture of fear and joy, and you can understand that. They're absolutely scared out of their minds over what's happening, and yet there's this great joy because they want to believe uh, that Jesus is is alive. He's not in the tomb, and, and so they're excited. They're thrilled at this prospect, and so they take off to find the disciples, and then the most remarkable thing happens. In verse 9, it says, Jesus met them, and in his own vernacular, uh, he says, hello, good morning. It says greetings. It was just a very common word. Hey, how are you? And these women, when they see him, are absolutely overjoyed. Jesus' appearances to them and to others becomes further proof of his resurrection. The other Gospels and the early epistles tell us that uh, Jesus didn't appear only to these women. He appears later to Peter. He appears to all the disciples twice. One time Thomas wasn't there. He appears to seven disciples at the Sea of Galilee. He appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that he appeared to over 500 disciples at the same time. Now, some people will try to tell you that, yeah, those 500 people, they were just all hallucinating and and, and that's what happened. But how often have you heard of 500 people all hallucinating at the same time and seeing the exact same thing? just doesn't make sense unless they actually saw what they said that they saw. Jesus appeared over and over, over again. And notice these women here in this verse, they grab hold of his feet and they start to to worship him. Jesus didn't rise from the grave just spiritually. It wasn't like a, a ghost that came out of the tomb. No, his entire body emerged from the tomb. If Jesus had only come out of the tomb spiritually, but his physical body remained there, then Satan would have won in some small way. But as it is, because Jesus came out fully, physical, spiritual, everything, Satan got no victory whatsoever. 
He rose from the grave and the women touched him. Thomas will touch him again in about a week or so. And Jesus directs these women. He says, I want you to go back to Galilee, tell my disciples to go there, and I will meet them. Jerusalem rejected Jesus, and now Jesus is rejecting Jerusalem. He's going back to Galilee. And in fact, by AD 70, this entire city will be destroyed. And so he goes back to where his ministry first began. Now, while these women are running off to tell the disciples, the guards are running off too. They they come back to consciousness and they're running off to find the chief priest because they got big problems. They got big time problems. If you lose a body as a Roman soldier, then you lose your head. Rome didn't take well to failure. And so it's interesting to me that instead of going to their Roman superiors, these guards go where? They go to the chief priests because they know that the chief priests want him dead too and the chief priests have a problem as well. So they don't go to their Roman superiors. They don't go to Pilate. They go running off to the chief priests. And in verse 12, when the chief priests had assembled everybody together, It says they gave the guards a sufficient sum of money and said, tell people his disciples came at night and stole him away while you were sleeping. Well, that is just absolutely ridiculous. For starters, if they were asleep, then how did they know he got stolen away? That doesn't even make sense. And secondly, if they were asleep, Wouldn't the sound, wouldn't the earthquake have awakened them? Wouldn't the sound of that enormous rock moving have, wouldn't the supposed grave robbers have awakened them? They got all kinds of problems with, with this lie. But you know what? Money talks. Money talks. And when the chief priests gave them a sufficient sum of money, That English word sufficient isn't really sufficient to describe the adjective. It kind of sounds like, you know, they gave him some money and it was sufficient. No, that word actually means extensive, extravagant, befitting the occasion. They had to give these guards enough money because these guys are going to have to move far, far away. Because if Rome finds them, they're done. So they gave him a ton of money. And these chief priests are willing to give the same amount of money or even more to the governor if word gets back to him. But quite frankly, Pilate doesn't really care what happened to the body. As long as the body was dead, as long as the soldiers told him that it was dead, as long as the Jews stay quiet about it and don't cause some big eruption, it's no worry of his. But it's a worry of the chief priests. And it's interesting to me that the chief priests do not deny the resurrection of Jesus. They just try to cover it up. They were the ones who had convinced Pilate to issue that battalion of guards. uh, And they had lied and said that the disciples were planning to come and steal the body. Thus, the tables have turned The very chief priest 
who predicted deceit on part of Jesus' disciples finish perpetrating deceit themselves in a futile attempt to thwart Jesus' triumph. And instead of repenting and believing in Jesus, they do everything they can to discount him so that they can remain in power. And so those guards took the money and they did as they were directed. And by the time Matthew is writing this gospel, that story is still floating around. They stole the body. They stole the body. That was the big rumor that went around. The thing is, since Jesus resurrected from the grave, his disciples became emboldened. And as Ryan mentioned earlier, when they laid eyes on their resurrected Lord, their faith was solidified and they had courage that was unstoppable. The book of Acts, which is, comes right after the Gospels, you see the bold proclamation of the disciples as they begin to preach and teach about a resurrected Jesus. Now, why in the world, if Jesus had not really come out of the grave, would these disciples be willing to risk their own lives preaching him? Why would they do it? Because they saw something. They saw their resurrected Jesus. They knew he was alive. He was risen. He was risen indeed. Now let me just conclude this morning with telling you what this means for you. There will always be people who deny the resurrection of Jesus. You can find it anywhere on the internet. Google it. Did Jesus really raise from the dead? And you will find denials everywhere. Why do they do this? Given all the proofs that we have of the resurrection, why deny it? Here's the reason why. Because to acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus is to acknowledge that Jesus was more than just a good person. To acknowledge the resurrection is to acknowledge that he is who he said he was, the very son of God, the great I am. And if one acknowledges that Jesus is God, then that means you have to make a choice. Will you submit to him as God or will you reject him? Will you repent of your sin and follow after him? Or will you only ever follow after your own will? will? That's really what it comes down to. What will you do with this Jesus? Let me tell you this. Scripture says that Jesus died and rose again. It also tells us that you and I will die And raise again. Jesus rose from the dead. You and I will also raise from the dead. And when we raise from the dead one day, scripture says judgment will happen. Here's what Acts 17 says. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness 
by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When God raised Jesus from the dead, that was the assurance that he will do the same thing for you someday. And if you believe on Jesus Christ, then that day will be a wonderful day for you. It will be a thrilling day for you. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, when God raises you from the dead, you will have the untold privilege of being with Jesus for all of eternity. But if when God raises you from the dead and you have not believed in Jesus, you have not repented of your sin, you have not followed after him, then you face a dreadful judgment. One in which you will be put away from the kindness of God and only ever face his everlasting punishment. The choice is yours. Will you believe in him and repent or will you reject him and risk facing that kind of a judgment? As C.S. Lewis famously wrote, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. Which one of them is he for you today? Is he a liar? Is he just a lunatic? Or is he Lord? My prayer is that on Easter 2022, you will be able to say with confidence that you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that you confess him as Lord. Because Paul said in Romans that if you do those two things, you will be saved from judgment. That's what this resurrection means for you. If you don't understand that and you want to know more, you come find me afterwards. I'd be happy to talk with you more about what that means. I want to pray for us this morning. I want to remind you again that there's breakfast back at the pavilion. Uh, You're welcome to make your way back there at the conclusion of this service. Um, I don't know if they'll quite be ready for you, so be patient with the cooks when you get back there. Uh, We told them 9 o'clock, so you got a few minutes to mingle um, before they might be ready. Uh, But I'm going to pray for our meal here So when you get back there and the lines open, you just plow your way through, okay? It'll be ready for you, all right? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray this morning. Father God, what a joy to be able to celebrate this Resurrection Sunday. Jesus coming up from the grave All the proofs of scripture from the empty tomb to the clothes to the eyewitnesses to the appearances thereafter to the, the, the use of women, the guards testimony, the, uh, all of this point to the fact he is alive today. We worship a risen Lord. And because of that, we can be assured that we too won't be in the grave forever, that we will have eternity somewhere. And so I pray for every person that's here this morning that we would bow the knee 
in submission to Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, follow after him, repent of our sin, that he becomes our savior. I pray that for the rest of our lives, we would seek to do what he wants us to do, trusting in his finished work on the cross and coming out of the tomb, that this would be our hope for a future with you. God, we love you. We thank you for this Easter morning. In Jesus' name I pray.